When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. to the analyst inside cricket. I might be smiling on the outside, but I'm seething on the inside because England's performances over the last couple of weeks, I'm sure we all shared the disappointment of the defeats, the heavy defeats to the West Indies. England actually only managed to bat for 200 overs in four test innings. They're 50 over team, aren't they? Uh, <laughs> they're, they're good at that, but they're not very good at this, this I mean, lot. And it's been, it's been really disappointing. Of course, it's been fantastic for the West Indies, and I'm very pleased for them, actually. And they bowled extremely well and batted in a very determined way, and they actually deserve their victories. But there was a, there was a piece written by Sanjay Mandraka, the Indian batsman and now commentator, the other day, which I thought was good, uh, in which he said, you know, England should be, with the resources, the number of players and, and the general approach to cricket, the professionalism of the game, they should be winning a lot more test matches, and they're not winning test matches. I know they won in Sri Lanka, but their record actually over the last sort of two years has been very erratic, really, I suppose. Well, under Joe Root, England have played 26 test matches. They've won 13 and lost 11. 11. That's, you know, that's a lot of wins, but you can still say that's a lot of defeats as well. Where does it start? It probably starts at the top of the order, doesn't it? That solidity. England just don't have that strength at the top of the order. Lots of people saying, oh, they need to pick three specialists at the top of the order. But where are they? Who are these players? They, they've been through the card. That's the problem. The selectors have been through the card over the last two, three, four years. They've picked so many openers. They've picked so many batsmen. And they have not been able to find a solution at the top of the order. I think it's something we touched on. A year ago, perhaps even longer than that, and we actually there may have been a thought an illusion after England won those matches against India and then Sri Lanka that England were on a, an upward line. I've always felt, and I felt it for quite a long time, that actually England's testing will be up and down. It's a bit like you know, choppy sea, really. It's going to go up and down, and they're going to have great victories because they've got some exciting players, but they can also have really poor performances as well A, because they don't prepare very well which they didn't in the West Indies B, because they're going to get on a dodgy pitch every now and again and C, they haven't got that, that right, really correct structure in their side that a Test Match team need they haven't got that solidity but people say, oh, they, you know, they've got to do this, they've got to do that but where are the, where are the players? You know, where are they? There's a, there's a stat actually that in the last 15 Test Matches uh, they haven't made 400 
in the first innings in the last 15 tests. And 400 is the sort of benchmark that you sort of set yourself in a test match. Try and make that in the first innings of a game, and then you can hopefully dictate terms. Ideally, you want more than 400, but 400 should be on a decent pitch should be the sort of base of your uh, of your expectations. But neither of those pitches in the West Indies were 400 pitches, No, that's were they? true. But, I mean, I'm talking about overall and, you know, England's top order failings we've talked about many times. But who else do they pick? If you look at the, the list of uh, top run scorers in the county championship from the last season, 2018, compiled here by our BBC colleague Stefan Schemmelt, he, he, there are four men who made a thousand runs. Rory Burns was the top, average sixty-four. James Hildreth second with a forty-five average. Ian Bell, interestingly, average fifty-four was third. Of course, that was in Division Two. And then Wayne Madsen in fourth spot, also in Division Two, averaging just thirty-seven. Ollie Pope just below that list, ninety at nine hundred eighty-six runs for for Surrey, average seventy. And we've picked two of those five: mm. Pope and Burns. The other three are well over 30. Yeah. And one of them's, you know, have been a total star for England over the years, Ian Bell, very successful international career. I suppose the one you, you would look at there is James Hildreth. Uh, lots of Somerset supporters say, why has he never been picked? Um, well, you'd have to ask the various selectors who've not picked him that question and get an answer out of them. Uh, but he is 34 now, mm. and that's... You know, I just, Joe Denley is quite old to be picked and have a successful career at 32. The, you know the stats tell you that. I mean, in a way, that's a, a bit of a punt from from Ed Smith. His rationale there is that Denley was good enough to play international cricket when he was younger. It didn't quite work for him, so he's, he's sort of got that international class, if you like. That's what he believes. So he's, they've given him another go at 32. But the only reason they've given him another go at the age of 32 is because they've been through they've the tried car. Everybody they've tried everybody else. Tried everybody else. Yeah. And and actually, talking of Joe Denley, you know, it, everybody says, "Oh, they should be picking different people." and you know so and so doesn't deserve to play and all that they should be picking this person in the end I don't think it's so important who you pick as how they bat and how they approach it and England's approach generally has been just poor they pick players like obviously Bearstow for instance Stokes Moen Alley the way that they got out in Antigua, driving at balls, getting bowled, you know, that's just not good enough. How many West Indies players got bowled in that one innings in Antigua? One. Mm-hmm. And that was Roston Chase, who got an absolute grubber and got and got clean bowled. But England are getting bowled too often. And I just thought, going back to Denley, I thought, OK, he's playing his first Test match here. I'm going to see how he goes opening the batting. I just didn't like the way he approached it. He was going for big drives in the first couple of overs that he faced in the match, going for big drives, playing and missing outside off. Burns was a bit the same, got away with it. Denley was soon out. In the second innings, he went for loads of pull shots. He was dropped off a pull at fine leg. He still kept trying to play the pull shot in the first few overs of the innings and getting bottom edges and missing the ball and getting top edges. Why don't they just put those shots away? Now, if you compare how England approached it, the opening pair, with the West Indies, with Craig Brathwaite and John Campbell. Now, I've looked at the stats of their performance in the first innings of that Antigua Test match. How many drives did they attempt in that evening session when they had to bat for 20 overs? I think Brathwaite attempted one and it was sort of half-fielded, and it went for two runs. Apart from that, he never attempted a drive. He hit no boundaries in the 20 overs they had to bat. They were 30 for no wicket after 20, 21 overs that evening's play. Campbell had 16 the other end. He did hit two fours, but Brathwaite hit no fours. He just tried to stay in. And 
the, the the sort of abstinence that they showed, and then later Darren Bravo as well, was absolutely superb. And I, you know, it goes back to in the end leadership. Joe Root was quoted as saying, "Before the game, you don't win games by batting long periods of time." I just find that astonishing from a guy I hugely respect and you know highly talented player, smart guy. What the hell was he doing saying that? Mm. And England batted like guys who didn't expect to bat a long time. Mm. They just looked as if they were playing vague shots against balls which were doing quite a bit, and they got bowled out. One of the interesting things about the West Indies, you tend to think about their. You know, it's probably a bit of cliche really about their cricket culture that everyone goes out and plays lots of shots. You know, you think of the players of the past, the exciting cricketers they had in the past, the likes of Viv Richards and Gordon Greenwich and and Clive Lloyd and you can, you know, Brian Lara, all, all those sorts of players. You, you think they've been quite flamboyant players. But actually, look at that West Indies batting lineup. It's not actually that flamboyant. They've got Shimron Hetmeyer, of course, who does like to to give it a, a, a basting if he possibly can. But actually, it is. They are quite. Disciplined players, well, and, and you know, Greenwich and Haynes. I played with Desmond Haynes a lot. Yeah, he was actually quite. Yeah, he was quite very disciplined. Over well, he was disciplined. Time. I mean, he had fantastic shots. Yeah. He had a great range of of different attacking shots, but he had an incredible defence. Gordon yeah. Greenwich, I think, has one of the best forward defensive shots I've ever seen. I mean, bowling at him was like bowling at a brick wall. Yeah. You just couldn't see past his forward defence. Yes, of course, he had these incredibly. Flamboyant attacking shots. Of, he, you know, he absolutely savaged the cut and the pull, especially. But he he got into fantastic positions, essentially to defend the ball, and you just couldn't see a way past his defence. And Haynes was the same. Yeah. What does this mean for the Ashes? Do you think? Uh, I mean, I know it's a, a while off now, but England haven't got a great deal of uh, red ball. Test match cricket to play before the Ashes. One test in St Lucia, the final test of the of the series. And then the four-day match against Ireland. Then it's the Ashes. Lots of white ball cricket between uh, now and then. What, what do you think it means for the Ashes? I, mean, I, I don't know. I think, I, to answer that question myself, to start with, I think it's really hard to say. And because, I mean, Australia have got similar sorts of problems. You know, mm. Smith and Warner, their batting has been iffy. And they've just played Sri Lanka. Who are, you know, everyone's knocking them off at the moment, aren't they? They're, they're really low-ebb uh, Sri Lankan cricket. And Australia put that into perspective with two crushing victories. I think it's really it's really hard to well, say. Well, I mean, that's always the way when you've got ropey batting orders mm. and good bowlers. Yeah. And bowling in English conditions with the Duke ball, it, one team gets on top. We've seen England collapse a number of times. The Australians have got the, the capability of collapsing as well, and they did against India. So... I think it is very hard to call, and it's kind of which bowling attack gets on a roll and which of the batsmen that are sort of having a a shaky kind of year or two are going to manage to to make a contribution. I mean, England, in the the 64 tests since Andy Flower retired as coach or gave up their job as coach, in 64 test matches, there have been 16 innings that have lasted all day. That's one by one player. 16 players have played an innings that lasted all day. Six, inevitably, by Cook, out of those 16, and four by Root. Two by Moen Ali, interestingly, who just seems to have become this, this sort of swisher, really, who comes off sometimes and doesn't other times. He's a bit of an enigma. And one each by a variety of other players, Bearstow, uh, Jennings, I think, was one. So, you know, England are just not good at batting all day. And I, I, I still I go back to that root quote about you don't win games batting long periods of time. Uh, ask Che Pajara that 
from mm. India. He you know, he batted long periods of time, and they won the series comfortably in the end in Australia by just wearing the bowlers down. And I just don't understand why that message can't sink through to England. Mm. I mean, do you think it will? I mean, I I, I think that it's it's very hard for for batsmen to change. Although you look at someone like Stokes. His strike rate is really, he looks like someone who has sort of changed his game. Uh, his strike rate has come down from, uh, well, it's come down to 45. From 59. From well, his 59 overall strike yeah. rate in, in his test career, in the, but the last 12 months since his suspension from the Ashes yeah. and obviously the incident in Bristol, his strike rate is down to 45. You're right. And he, I think he's lost his way as a batsman a bit. He doesn't know how to play. Mm. And actually, he needs to be encouraged. And I think they are trying to get that message through. He needs to be encouraged to, to be a bit more aggressive, actually. So he's gone the, so he's gone the wrong... So he's gone almost uh, too far the other way. You're urging batsmen to spend more time at the crease. Stokes does that, and then he, yeah. and now you're saying he's got to be more, t- and, more attacking. And, well, yeah. I mean, it, it, obviously, it, there, there are different messages for different players. Yeah. The overall message is, sell your wicket a bit more dearly, stop driving at the ball yeah. for a start. But... But in Ben Stokes's case, his great strength has been being positive without being reckless. And I think he's just lost that, partly because he's always coming into bat in, in, I suppose, tricky situations. And also, possibly as well, because he's, he's bowled a lot. Yeah. He, he, we talk about his batting going down the last year. His bowling has gone up 30 wickets to 27, which is a good return for an all-rounder, isn't it? not bad. But, but that, that's why I think that the problem is also with all these all-rounders. I don't like having so many all-rounders, I want at least four specialist batsmen who, that is their only job. So is Joss Butler a specialist batsman? Well, it, he's not really, is he? Because, it, it, you know, wicket-keeping is still in his mind. I mean, although he's no, I know he's not keeping wicket at the moment, he will be keeping in the one-day series, so he's got to sort of keep that ticking over. And, he, you know, I, I think you're kind of... You're born with... Batting mentality, and that's your job. Ian Bell, Jonathan Trott, yeah. Alistair Cook, Nick Compton, you know, people like that. That is their job. Andrew Strauss. They don't do anything else, and they're able to focus on the dedication, the application required to stay in a long time. I think if you've got wicket-keeping or bowling as another string to your bow, you can always sort of fall back on that, and maybe you don't have enough time to spend on the really tough mm. discipline of batting. And yet last summer, Joss Butler, who essentially was just a batsman for England last summer in Test Creek, he did keep, obviously, down at Southampton. Can you shut up and stop arguing? Well, he was, but he was one of England's players of the yeah. summer. No, he it's, was, it's, it's... and he's incredibly talented, but, you know, some, sometimes you just got to bat a different way, mm. and England just haven't found that method, and they're just not getting any opening partnerships together to protect someone like Joe Root, whose mm. average, since he's been captain, has slumped to 42. Yeah, it was, it, it, when he was England captain, when he started England captain, his test average was 53. Uh, he's averaged 42 as captain, so it's now gone to f- down to 49 overall. overall. I mean, 42 is not, is not, not the bad. worst. It's no, not, it's not, it's not bad. terrible, is it? No. Um, what, what is that? Is that, is that inevitable, that, that pressure aspect of, of, of being the captain? I mean, he, he yeah. did, of course, go and play. You know, he's he continuous cricket as well, hasn't he? He went to uh, all that cricket in Sri Lanka. Then he went to play for the Sydney Thunder in, in Big Bash. Uh, he, he played uh, for Sydney Thunder about, I think, three days before he arrived in, in the Caribbean. He didn't get any runs for them, he didn't get any run. He didn't get any runs for Sydney Thunder. He had, a, he had a really lean time, in contrast to Butler, who left the Big Bash as the leading run scorer in the, in the competition. And I've noticed, actually, that his footwork is a bit 
uh, is not good at the moment. He's doing a, a little shuffle back to outside leg, which I don't like personally. I think it's his alignment actually is fractionally out at the moment, and that can happen as Bairstow has found by playing a lot of one-day cricket. Okay, so what what's the solution then? Is it just just play better because there's, there's no I think one... it has to be a different attitude they've Do... got to play a different way right don't you think so the same players but just play a different way just sell your wickets yeah, a, yeah. more dearly look at look at look at Sachin if... Tendulkar you know as a good role model he worked out on a particular pitch, I think it was in Sydney, that the off-drive was a bit yeah. of a risky shot. He got 241. He never p- played an off-drive. Why can't they just put that drive away until they're in their 50s or 60s and just just be a bit more resolute? Well, I th- think about Tendulkar, you're talking about one of the best players I, I, ever to right, played the fine. game. So, And some of these players are not the best players to have ever no. played the game. But they, they could are, they make are, themselves are, a lot better. Yeah, I, well, I, I don't disagree with that. They are, you know, they're, they're, there are flaws there, and obviously if you don't correct them, then you'll be out the side eventually. But it, it, there aren't that many players to come in and, and replace them. They tried Ollie Pope. Uh, last well, he summer, had, he didn't and, have much chance. No, and, and, and but he'll, he'll be someone who they hope eventually will be will will come into the yeah. side. I mean, he's compromised by a lot of one day cricket, mm. and you know the modern player is. Well, he's never he's barely batted in the top order as well. He's in number six. Was, yeah, you know, a very successful number six for for Surrey, and they're obviously looking to try and shove him up the order now and to to make a, a top order player of him. Because goodness me, there are some you know there are definitely some opportunities there for someone to if they can seize it, especially. Right at the top of the order, uh, but what does this all mean for Joe Root? Do you think, as captain, you know his record that you said is one thirteen, lost eleven as captain. Mm. I mean, it's it's okay. It's it's not the best and it's not the worst. It's a it's a decent record, but you feel that it is having an impact on his batting. He should probably bat at number three. I know Mike Atherton has argued for that. Mm. That does sound like it should make a lot of sense, really, but. What does it mean for his captaincy? I still think he's the right man to do it, and I wouldn't suddenly strip him of the job. I think he's got authority. I think he's you know, a solid character who you rely on as a cricketer, who's got good awareness of the game. I think actually it helps, personally, that a captain bowls a bit, and he bowls his off-spin and his leg-spin and so on. I think being able to bowl just gives a captain a bit more understanding of a bowler and that helps his overall judgment of of certain things in the field. So, you know, the calls for somebody else to captain like Joss Butler, I wouldn't be rushing into that at the moment, partly because they've only got two tests until the Ashes, mm. well, exactly. Yeah. I don't think I don't think you can go for a change now. But I think um, I think my message is, you know, good times and bad times ahead. You know, it's it's going to be fun watching it. There will be some highs and there are going to be some lows because you you do not sort these problems out overnight or even in a relatively short space of time. Simple as that. So that's one captain, actually. So what about the other captain? Jason Holder, suspended for the next test match. You, I, you, you, I'm, you, I'm disappointed. I, I don't know. I, I think What, disappointed with his overrate or disappointed with the suspension? I think it's pedantic to... Just suddenly jump on a, a, a bowler like that. Uh, right, you're going to say rules are rules, but I, I just think the, the games have been over in three days. Why do you want it to be over? What do you want it to do? Run into bowl a bit quicker or something? And I mean, Desmond Haynes used to say, if you stop us from bowling uh, 13 and 12 overs an hour in the, the great era of the West Indies, mm. if you stop us from bowling 12, 13 overs an hour, and we bowl 15 overs an hour, we'll beat you in two days. I don't know. That was not a... strictly speaking the, the case. There was I mean, one of the, one, it was it, one. I of, think it's pedantic. One of the aspects of, of, of 
you can argue, the West Indies in the 1980s, because they had a very slow over rate, you, you felt the game as a batting side was going nowhere the whole time. Yeah. And actually, also, like, because they were very slow with their over rate, it allowed them just to have relatively short yeah. days of cricket. And yeah. so the bowlers could just rotate. You know, when you had to bowl 90 overs, then you know, there, there would have been you know, d- different options for the, for the batting side. So I, I, my, my view on this is yeah, it, the, the suspension is fair because he knows the situation, just get on with the game. But actually, I would have a different penalty. I think it's time to have a different penalty for slow over rates. Run, Run penalty. Mm. Or, I mean, there have been some outrageous suggestions which we've touched on before, but something that will actually make a team just bowl their overs in time. I, I quite like the idea of having a free hit overs at the end of the day's play. Anything not bowled, you get free hits on every single ball. That will certainly concentrate a few minds. But actually, a run penalty mm. per over, yeah. a run penalty. Yeah, yeah I uh, agree with that. I mean, it, it wouldn't make a much of an impact in some games, you know, say where a side's got a massive score and the other side was struggling in response. You know, say in the test match in Canberra where Australia got 500 nod and then Sri Lanka struggled to make any impact at all. It wouldn't have made any difference to that game at all if you'd had in you know, Australia been four overs down. Yeah, OK, here are Sri Lanka. Here's 40 extra runs, four times ten. Say, wouldn't have made any difference at all in that game. But in some games, it could, you know, it could go a long way to deciding them. The Birmingham Test match last year, England India, what was the winning margin? 31 runs. I haven't looked at the over rates, but you know, you, if you'd gone back and had a look at that, it could have had a massive impact. Anyway, it would, it probably would concentrate the minds of the players. It's, it's, it's perfectly possible to get on with. It. Just get on with the game. This sense of, you know, when you watch a county championship match, you are you're actually conscious of them. Are the players just getting on with the game? The over ends, and then the next over starts quite quickly test cricket you watch test cricket players just ambling around and Jason Holder can't I mean there's no defence he he knows exactly what the regulations are just get on with it I totally accept the point that it seems ridiculous when you've still got two days left but there are sort of tactics within within that day's play that's that's my view and and also you know what the you know what the rules are Mm. Um, just get on with the game well, we're going to get on with the game now. We're going to call a halt to the discussions about England and talk instead about a guy who's converted a real adversity in his life to something positive for the game of cricket. Right, welcome back. And this half, we're going to talk cricket bats because I got a call, actually, about a month ago from a good friend, Bill Athey, former Yorkshire and England batsman, who's now coach at Dulwich College, and, and he said, I've got a very interesting story. Uh, somebody that I've met and I'm now working in collaboration with, he was in the Royal Navy in the sort of 2000s era, got terrible injuries, had to be discharged from the Navy, and after some thought about what to do with his life and unable to play the game anymore, loved his cricket, he decided to get into cricket bat manufacturer. And he's making... Interesting waves with that new role he's adopted for himself. And so I thought I'd go down and meet him. And he lives down in Dorset. He's got his own timber factory down there. Chris Jordan uses his bats. Chris Jordan uses his bats, former Dulwich schoolboy, of course. And uh, one or two other county players are moving into to using them as well. It's a company called World Class Willow. And the owner and founder is Mike Kennedy. And I asked him what happened out in Iraq. My job role was to um, service the radar for the detection of incoming rockets and mortars into the camp, so we were the camps of protection. Um, The trouble with that, it was on top of three shipping containers, um, 40 foot up in the air. Um, Next thing I know, I'm on the ground um, after an attack. 
don't really remember too much from it. I just remember waking up in hospital. Uh, so you fell a long way, Yeah, basically. fell a long way, long way. Lucky to be alive, then? I would say so, yeah. Not too many people fall from that sort of height and, you know, get up from it. Because of my injury at the time, um, I was pretty much unemployable with my condition. So I always knew I wanted to be my own boss and I wanted to go it alone. Um, so I set up a timber business. And um, off the back of that, one of my good mates is a landowner and um, um, then found out that he had cricket bat willow. Um, so he had it failed, um, brought back to my yard, and I thought, well, I'll give it a go, see if I can make some cricket bats and make some clefts. We ended up producing a few, made up a couple for him, and found out, actually, I'm not bad at this. <laughs> and um, I thought, well, I always want to push boundaries, so, you know, if I've, I feel something can be improved, I will try and improve it. So, uh, hence, with the cricket bats, as you've seen, um, I come up with a brand new idea of splicing the handles, um, which is completely unique. No one else does it. And I personally believe it's a stronger joint than currently what's out there. And actually it gives it the bat a bit more longevity. And I would say power as well, which is quite nice. Um, and off the top of that, you know, um, we've been putting a lot of um, R&D into the business, um, looking at other alternative ways how to make bats. We've got a real scientific edge, I think. Um, looking at other types of wood as well? Yes, yeah, looking at other types of wood. Um, we know that there's other timber on the market um, that is being used for cricket bats. It is a willow. Uh, it's not necessarily English uh, willow. But um, we, we're looking into a different type of hardwood that's actually producing good bats at the moment. Uh, we're not releasing them to the market yet. We're, we've got a bit more testing to do on them um, and check the durability of them. The ping's certainly there, which is very interesting. So are a lot of the bats made uh, that are used in the world game built from the willow in Somerset and Dorset? Um, no, the, the, the biggest plantations actually is uh, in the southeast. The southeast growing, the, the climate is very good. You know, Hence why someone like Grey Nichols is, yes, is based in yeah, Sussex. Yeah, you'll basically. find a lot of the bigger companies are based yeah. in the southeast. Um, I think the southwest just got forgotten about. But uh, as your podcast, you were saying to the Lord's Groundsman recently, um, you know, he's seen a big change in the weather conditions over the last 10 years. And we've actually seen that in Somerset as well. Um, and around the southwest, mm. conditions are improving. And... You know, the southwest is becoming a prime location to grow willow. So it is, it's, it's on the up. It's on the up. Okay, that's bat maker Mike Kennedy. Just, just explain what he was talking about there. This, this, this splicing of the bat, you, you know all the technical side of it. You've been to, to meet him. What, what, what does that mean? What, what does the bat look like, therefore? Well, when you join the handle of the bat to the blade, the handle has a V-shaped piece of wood which slots in yeah. to the blade... And that's known as the splice. And, you know, if you're a good bowler, you can hit the ball on the splice occasionally, make it lift into the splice. But it's a V-shaped join. And what he's developed is a U-shaped join 
So the piece of wood underneath the handle, fixed to the handle, slotting into the blade, has a U-shaped base. And he believes that that connects the handle to the blade more effectively because it's a round join as opposed to a pointed V-shaped join. He thinks as a result you get more feel in the handle from the ball you know, touching the bat. And so that's one little development that he's created. And I've tried the bats, by the way, and they I mean, no, no, no bullshit. They are fantastic. So even, even you, Yoz, with your bat yeah, prowess. Yes, yeah. I was middling the ball <laughs> off throwdowns in all directions. I mean, I could have, I could have raised my first-class batting average to at least 15 <laughs> so, with these bats. So, it's, again, it's something that's going all in the favour of the bats and rather than the bowlers, isn't it? Which is ironic, considering Mike actually yeah. was a bowler, funnily enough. But uh, he's obviously interested in the, the whole development of, of Willow and, and bats, etc. And interestingly, mentioning Willow, he, he mentions about there being a, a climate change now and there much more Willow available in the southwest as well as in the Kent and Sussex areas where Willow sort of traditionally comes from. But they're also, they're looking into other woods to develop bats, and they found some wood in Scandinavia, which is similar to Willow, but he reckons even better for batting, because it hits the ball further and it's lighter. Oh, even worse for bowlers. Even worse <laughs> for bowlers. But, but so, so he's looking into that, that evolution of, of bat-making and really getting into the research and development of it, so... Watch this space, actually, because world-class Willow could be something quite interesting, quite innovative. Is, just, just be clear about this. Is there anything in the the laws, or the MCC? I mean, you're, you sit on the MCC committee against have, against having a, a bat that's made anything other than than Willow. No, there isn't. If you look in the laws of the game, a bat must be made of wood, but it doesn't specify Willow. Willow clearly has been the thing that's been used over centuries. And I don't think any other woods have really been properly tried. I mean, we've seen aluminium bats attempted by Dennis Lilly many years ago. And they, they, you get rubber bats used in practice, which hit the ball absolutely miles with hardly any um, effort at all. But I don't know of any bats why that have they, been... Why do they use rubber bats in practice, then? Why well, it's just easier, isn't it? So you can hit the ball miles, long hits to high catches... For the for the fielders without much effort, so it's it's easy. Save the coaches. coaches, yeah. Save the coaches, yeah. 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 Uh, the same as the the, the, the dog thrower, yeah. it sort of sh- saves their shoulders. But I, I don't know of any um, definite wood other than willow that's ever been used in a bat. And Mike seems quite excited by this. And w- what he's doing is he's just trying to grow his company at the moment and trying to you know basically give away a lot of bats, but sell some as well. Uh, and he's developed an app which you can get free on the App Store. It's world-class Willow, and there's quite a lot of interesting news feeds on that, as well as more information about the bats and how they're made and how to get hold of them. Well, good luck to him with yeah, that. I mean, so it's an uplifting story. It's good to hear that, mm-hmm. that somebody has you know, turned adversity into, into a new career. Yeah, and he's, he's obviously in a lot of pain, but he still plays a bit, doesn't he? But he's, he's turned himself mainly into a batsman now around the bowl. I think he says he, he runs in off of, or jogs in or walks in off about six paces now as a bowler. Yeah, and all his club mates have got these bats, so let's see how they do next summer. Yeah. I could give them to the England cricket team, couldn't they? See how they get on with them. Uh, so one more test match uh, to go in this series. 
in uh, St Lucia starting on Saturday. And just finally, just on this, I mean, fascinating to see what surface the groundsman comes up with in St Lucia. I wonder if we're going to see something nice and spicy again. I wonder if we're going to see 3 0 and echoes of the past. A, cl- a clean sweep by the West Indies against England. Who, who would. Who would have thought bet, we'd, we'd see that again? I bet that the Kirtley Ambroses and the uh, Andy Robertses and those... Well, Andy Roberts used to be the groundsman yeah. at Antigua, yeah. of course. I bet they're absolutely loving it at the moment, seeing the ball fly through. And, you know, congratulations to Johnny Grave, an Englishman uh, in the, the heart of the West Indies camp as their new chief executive, who's turned it round by encouraging spicy pitches. Stuart Law, the previous coach... W- was encouraging low, slow pitches, mm. and he's gone now, and he's, of course, in, in charge of Middlesex now. He's coaching Middlesex. Johnny Graves seems to have had a bit of an influence there because the spicy pitches have played straight into the hands of the West Indies fast bowlers, and they've they've utilised them extremely well. How important is this test match for England? Uh, I mean, if, if West Indies uh, win again, it's the it's same old, same old, same criticism. If England come back and win, you say, oh, well, they won just because it was a... A dead rubber. How, I, how important is this look, game? I think it's massively important. I think it's huge for the top three or top four of England to show that they've got some fight and they can put up a decent score and give England some heart with only two test matches to go to the Ashes. Well, we normally record this podcast on a, a Monday or Tuesday. That's the third and fourth days of the St Lucia Test Match. If we are speaking to you on Monday or Tuesday, it could well be we've just witnessed another abysmal England performance. Uh, if we haven't, they managed to extend it a bit later. We'll be coming back a bit later in the week with our review of the series next week. So I hope you've enjoyed this episode, and we'll speak to you again soon. Goodbye for now. Thanks for listening. Podcast Network.